A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show. Wednesday morning, uh, the 6th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 39-year-old Richie Carberry was originally from Lucan, but had lived in Bettystown for a number of years. Reports say he's been involved in the drugs trade for some time. The Irish Independent claims he was under pressure to pay back €700,000 to a major drugs dealer after he was robbed by a Moroccan gang in Holland. He's said to have been a stakeholder in 3.2 million euro worth of cannabis that Gardaí seized in Louth last week. He's reported to have supplied guns and drugs to a gang in Drogheda and he's being linked to at least one shooting, an attempted murder at a halting site in Drogheda two and a half years ago. On Monday night, he was the target and despite having installed bulletproof windows at his home on Castle Martin Drive because of a previous attempt on his life, Carberry was murdered outside his home in Bettystown. He was shot several times by an automatic pistol at 20 to 12 and died in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda just before 1 o'clock yesterday morning. Let's talk about this with local TD Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil TD, who's come in to us uh, this morning. Uh, this has uh, come to your doorstep now. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is this is very, very concerning. Um, we knew that uh, certain individuals are moving back into the Smead area that was mentioned in the media and was, I think, maybe mentioned by myself some time ago. Uh, and there's definitely a climate of fear. I mean, the fear has already been in Drogheda, and but also people in East Mead have certainly been aware of this uh, for the last, certainly for the last year. People, people have been talking openly about the offshoots of gangs in East Mead, and it's something I've raised myself in terms of Garda resources, because I think there's only there's, there's not really much legislation mm. we can do here. This is about actually resourcing Garda, making sure they have the resources to be able to safely police uh, the areas. Um, and there are huge issues regarding that at the moment. Yes, uh, Drogheda got extra Garda, and they were badly needed, and they're visible if anyone's in Drogheda. Uh, but, you know, go two miles out the road into the Ashburn Garda district, and the same resources have not been allocated. Now, the Garda do say... Uh, that they work together and I'm absolutely certain that they do but that that is a huge issue undoubtedly but but I think the most important thing here is a climate of fear um, you know uh, th- this is an area it's a new area uh, the whole East Mead Bettystown mm. area it's an area where the football team has got to an All-Ireland in the last couple of years that the community is really coming together and this has really installed a climate of fear uh, in kids in particular um, because kids are wondering where the next shooting will be or why has this happened in our estate or whatever? Mm. Um, so that fear that is really evident in Drogheda, if anyone speaks to people in Drogheda, has definitely spread mm. uh, to all of Eastmead at the moment. Have you been speaking to neighbours? Uh, um, certainly, I've, mm. I know people who live in Castle Martin, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a huge climate of fear. Kids what, are, what have they said to you? Well, well, I mean, well, talk, what do you know about Richie Carberry or, or, very, or, very or, or his wife or his two daughters, his widow or his two very daughters? Very little. Uh, and I mean, uh, uh, did you, I, like, did, did I, anybody I, know that he'd installed bulletproof windows in his house? 
I, I certainly am not aware of, of that level mm. of detail and I certainly obviously have some sympathy for any children that's involved. I mean, they've, they've lost a dad, but I mean, there's, there's huge fear in the local community now and that fear is really evident in children, uh, in children in school who know people who live there, who perhaps know the family mm. or whatever. Um, they're very, very afraid. And, you know, we've had children, hearing of children having, having nightmares. Mm. Uh, in the area, and I think that's 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 a huge issue at the moment. I think people, people is this a, a bit of a, a wake up for you and uh, people in that east town? It is not a wake up. It is not a wake up. You've taught for some time that this was Drogheda's problem. No, I, I certainly did not, Michael. And you can look at the Doll record. When oh, I, I know that you've spoken about. No, no, sorry, sorry, Michael. Resources sorry. in no, Drogheda. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. I, when the whole issue of the Drogheda feud came up, mm. I raised it in the Doll mm. as as, a, as an East Mead uh, TD because. Um, I felt that the resources that were being directed to Drogheda, while absolutely necessary and welcome, mm. uh, were not being allocated to East Mead and the part of Drogheda mm. that's, in, that's mm. in East Mead. That was raised by me and the Doll with the Minister mm. for Justice. So this is something that no, I've and been I think seriously we concerned listened about. to that contribution on the programme. Yeah, this is, fact, so, yes, this yeah. is something that I've been seriously mm. concerned about and I've identified. And at the last J- Joint Policing Committee uh, meeting, I raised this with the Chief, sorry, the one before I raised mm. it with the Chief Superintendent uh, in Mead as to what the levels of cooperation were. Uh, with Loud, and in, in fairness to him, he, he he almost seemed insulted that I would even ask the question. But I think it was a valid question to ask, uh, because uh, th- there is a, a huge focus on Drogheda, which is absolutely necessary. Uh, but there has not been the same focus on the Ashburn Garda district, which mm. comes in right almost up to this studio here in Drogheda. Um, you know, there's an estate just down the street there that's under the Ashburn Garda district. So, so what I was trying to emphasise in the doll was that this is a problem. I certainly am aware of the individuals. Mm. Not all of them, of course. I'm not a member of Angarda Shiakana, but I'm certainly aware of individuals in East Mead who, mm. who live some considerable distance from here uh, who uh, are, are alleged to be part of this feud and who are causing trouble. And certainly that has been very mm. much on my agenda. And you can look at my dog contributions, oh, contributions to the JPC over the last number of years. I, I certainly know mm. what's going on. No, is, uh, except that you did. No, but sorry, you, asked, you asked me, mm. is it a wake up call yeah. to me? Mm. It is not mm. a wake up call mm. to me. Mm. Is it a wake up call to people in Bettystown, do you think? Do you think that people thought that this is a problem that is in Drogheda and will stay in Drogheda? I, I don't know what you're trying to achieve by saying that. I think this is, this is one. Well, I suppose what I'm trying to achieve is uh, to bring to light the reality of the situation. That this is a regional problem. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's something I've been saying mm. for, 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 for ages and it's something mm. that the people are very much aware and people have been onto me from that area in mm. fear, not just this week, but for quite some considerable time. The armed response unit drives around East Mead. As I understand it, that particular armed response unit comes from Mullingar, whereas one in Drogheda comes, comes much from, I think, from Dundalk, uh, if not from Drogheda itself at this particular point. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a big issue. And what has happened now in, in, with the changes with the Garda, uh, not just the districts or the divisions, but the Garda region boundary now is in the suburbs of Drogheda, whereas one side is policed from Mullingar through Ashburn and the other side is policed uh, from Drogheda. Mm. Uh, so you have the Drogheda re- regional, uh, d- sorry, the regional headquarters here does not police uh, Bettystown. Mm. So that's something that has to be addressed, and I'll be raising it with the uh, Commissioner of Regarda Shiakana when he comes before uh, the Joint Policing Committee in Mead. Uh, I want to be absolutely certain that the resources that are needed are delivered, and the resources were, and I, I'm, I think that the Minister mm. and the Commissioner were satisfied, and they gave extra guardie to Drogheda, yes, we're sorting out Drogheda, but completely forgot mm. uh, about East Mead. I didn't forget about that, that's something I raised at the time with the Minister. Um, and in fact, if you look back at the record of the doll, the minister wasn't best pleased that I raised it because he felt that this was East Mead was a different issue. It is not a different issue. Mm. And I so think I spoke to you about that. I think we yeah. played back the audio. This and we is, played uh, the I'm, 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 not, I'm not calling down the question, but it, but it, 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 there has been it's, a perception sorry, that it is... No, no, sorry, Michael. If anyone in East Mead will have seen mm-hmm. the, the Garda Armed Response Unit mm-hmm. driving around that area, 
every day, twice a day in many estates. So this is not a wake-up call to anybody except that somebody has died now and obviously mm. that, that ups the ante. Um, but this uh, is something that people have been feeling. Is it a wake-up call to the guards? Well, I hope that... I, I mean, how well, is I it? I, I mean, this was the question that Sharon Tolan was asking last night. How did it happen? How did they not know? Why was there not a patrol in the place? I'm reading this morning there was a patrol uh, in the area around 30 minutes before the actual shooting itself. Right. But, I mean, Look, given I the record that this man had uh, that has been highlighted through all of these reports uh, and only some of them that I read out this morning uh, and there's more detail uh, about this man's life in the newspapers uh, this morning and his involvement in the drugs trade and his direct involvement in one of the gangs that is involved in this feud which has led to people killing each other uh, it is very questionable that somebody could walk up with an automatic pistol and shoot him six times apparently in the back uh, uh, and leave him for dead Michael that can happen anywhere okay mm. I, 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 I'm not in a position today two days mm. after it to criticise the Garda response at the particular time okay I've been very critical of the mm. way the Garda structures are divided and I'm very critical of the way that resources that have been allocated draw have not been matched in East Mead and I think that would certainly have helped the problem if what I had asked to be done in the Dáil I can't remember is it six it's back when the Drogheda feud was at its height it's there it's all there in the dark when I raised it with the Minister for Justice with I think Declan Brannock raised it as well and other loud mm. TDs but I raised it because I felt that East Mead had to be mentioned too um, but it is a fact and I don't know what Councillor Tolan was saying but it is a fact that the Garda Armed Response Unit is always around East Mead and we, any of us who have seen it are aware that there are people in East Mead living there who we'd rather weren't mm. who are you know, potentially going to cause this death uh, and, and destruction um, so so uh, my quibble was that mm. the armed response unit was coming from Mullingar, not from Drogheda. And that, to me, was absolutely crazy. And I think the Gardaí would have to clarify that. But I think all of us in society have responsibility for this. The demand for drugs has never been greater. There are people smoking hash openly on streets. There are people taking cocaine openly in pubs. I think all of us have questions to answer as society as to why we allow this demand uh, to continue. Because mm. when the, that, that demand is there this criminality is going to continue. And even if there was decriminalisation, the criminals would find some other way of getting illegal stuff in that's maybe more exciting for people who want to use this. So I think all of us need to question, as well as pushing for Garda resources. You know, if you walk around the streets mm. uh, and you smell hash, which is very regular at this particular mm, point, mm, or mm. even in some pubs, I, mm. hash has been smelt by me, and I'm not in pubs that frequently. I think we have to ask ourselves questions. Uh, there, is, there is no division between mm. people casually smoking hash in the streets and then this type of criminality because it's all linked, and people have to make that decision for themselves. Why is the demand so high? As politicians, as government, you can do education, you can try and explain to people how dangerous some of these drugs are, and they are, and I believe that they are illegal for a reason. Um, but I think that there is there is huge responsibility on everybody not to be driving the demand that causes this criminality. Okay, uh, that'll be ignored anyway, won't it? As uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, pe- maybe people the will way ignore, it was ignored the time before, and the way it was ignored the time before that, and the way well, it's been I'm, ignored since well, Ronnie Reagan uh, declared a, a no, war on no, drugs. I'm not Just declare, say I'm not no. Declaring a war on drugs, I'm trying to prick people's consciences. Mm. I, I'm, I can speak as someone who genuinely has never. I mean, yeah, but I'm telling you, it's falling on deaf ears. Well, it might be, and that's why... Drugs have become more and more popular. Okay, okay, I mean, okay. The, fir- the first time this was said was in the 1920s, wasn't okay. it, when, when, when people were asked not okay. to drink alcohol, and the Americans introduced a system of prohibition, and that failed. This yeah. is a failed policy, isn't it? Uh, it certainly is something I have debated and I've discussed with my colleagues, yeah, because one sees the problem. But the, 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 what we come back to, certainly if you got rid of... If you, if you if you decriminalise and effectively it is decriminalised for very well, small amounts, somebody is not because people yeah, of course it's people are people are people are smoking hash openly. It's, mm. it's 
they're not going to be prosecuted. But part of, part of that then leads to the demand for this, and then there's criminality involved as well. I'm not. My message is not just say no to drugs. My message is that if you are consuming drugs, then you have to take some responsibility for criminality that happens as a result of that. That's that's what I'm saying. Do politicians have to take some responsibility Ab- for... Absolutely, and that's why... I, I, for making it illegal, for establishing an illegal trade, an illicit trade? Uh, no, no. I think the, re- the the reality is that some of these drugs are actually really dangerous. And yes, people are blasé about mm. hash and cannabis now mm. and say, oh, there's no problem with it. There are problems with it and there are serious mental health uh, disturbance in relation to people who habitually smoke it. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, absolutely no doubt. Cocaine is extremely dangerous and mm. in itself. So is alcohol. Absolutely. And that's why people Very, try. very dangerous. Absolutely. Uh, that's, I mean, absolutely. Gives you cancer, co- sclerosis co- of the liver. And cocaine, cocaine causes violence as well mm. in itself. Yeah. Like just mm. people, people mm. who take cocaine can become uh, violent. But that's one side of it, Michael. The other side is, is a guard resource issue. And that's, mm. the, that's the area where the government has most responsibility and politicians mm. have most responsibility. And it's an area that I feel I take res- responsibility mm. seriously by advocating at every level that I can uh, to make sure that uh, Eastmead, and that includes the whole of the Ashburn Garda mm. district, which is absolutely massive of going from the bridge in Kilcock, uh, from Maynooth there where they're building the new secondary schools, all the way up to TK Maxx, Harvey Norman and mm. Drogheda are all mm-hmm. part of the Ashburn Garda district. Uh, and I think that that is a huge area. So should we continue with a failed policy? On, 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 on policing, I'd be strongly... No, advocate. continue with a failed policy on prohibition of drugs. Well, I, I, I cannot say that the prohibition of drugs is, dire- is, is, is something that should be sacrificed uh, to, to stop this criminality. But it's failed. Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure that the alternative would be any better, Michael. And I think, this, I think, it's, I think you're absolutely right to ask the question. Well, hold on. The alternative to complete failure, which has resulted in gangs and guns and killings. Uh, as well as the harm that people are, are doing to themselves by taking these illegal drugs. I, if it was legalised, uh, there would be some reg, uh, regulation over the substances uh, that people yeah. would use and they'd be safer using them. There'd be money raised by the government uh, by way of tax, which could be used for educating uh, and uh, indeed the health service that's required as a result of uh, people using drugs. Uh, and you would save an awful lot of money on policing. I have to say it is something that I, I have considered and those points that you raise mm. are certainly worthy of debate and serious consideration. But there are counter-arguments to them, Michael, and they include in America, in, mm. in parts of the states where some drugs have been, le- have been decriminalised, legalised, um, the rates of mental health problems have gone up. But also, what happens is as well that criminals find a way to get, as I said, more exciting products into the market. Uh, and, you know, th- there's a constant chase against that. And it's, it's where do you draw the line? And I suppose traditionally in Ireland, society has drawn the line at alcohol that you mentioned, which you're mm. right to say is a drug and does cause problems in itself. That's the line that we've drawn. Now, yes, there is absolutely room for debate uh, on redrawing that mm. line. But I'm not certain that the arguments are as strong uh, mm. as some people make out. And it's something that I've considered because I do not want to see this criminality continue. Our education, by the way, and that's mm. what you mentioned is really important, has to start at the lowest levels. There are some serious problems in schools in this area uh, with very young children who've been caught up in the gangs mm. um, in, in ways that are, were unimaginable even five years ago, mm. uh, that there is affiliations there in some, in, uh, among some young people and there are some people at a very, very young age being mm. groomed by particular individuals uh, in this area. And I think that, that requires uh, more resources into the education system and I've discussed this with a number of local mm. schools uh, and, and a joint uh, Department of Justice to guard effort with the Department of Education on yeah. that as well. You, you didn't criticise uh, the guards. Have you, got conf- uh, have you got confidence in policing? 
Well, what, 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 I'm, I'm very reluctant to criticise the Guardian in the middle of an investigation yeah. into, a, into, a, into a murder. Like, I, I don't think that's going to help anybody. I know, well, it's not, it's a, not, it's not just the middle of an investigation into a murder. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's at least two and a half but, years sorry. on from this okay. feud started yeah, and at least another absolutely. two and a half years before absolutely. that since okay. it was bubbling up. Yeah, and, and, and I have no difficulty in, in if we need to criticise mm. him at some point, but let, let's, let's just, the first point should be is that anybody who has any information whatsoever needs to ring the guard, even if they think anyone who saw anything at all, if they're out for a walk anywhere uh, on, 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 on the night of the shooting, or if they saw anything that is suspicious, no matter what, how irrelevant they might think it is, please ring a guard of Shikana. That's the most important thing. They need all the information okay. possible. But I have, Michael, pressed the case mm. on numerous occasions uh, to make sure that Eastmead, the whole of the Ashburn Garda district, which in my view is a forgotten area in terms of policing, is actually uh, resourced properly and that when they're allocating uh, Gardaí to Drogheda and slapping themselves in the mm. back congratulating themselves they completely forget the bit of Drogheda uh, that's in Mead the parts of Mead Bettystown Dalik Stamullen etc uh, that really feel the brunt of a lack of policing and that, that has never been addressed and those areas are all directly affected uh, by this in various ways mm. and I'm going to keep pressing that case and they need to get the message and Commissioner Harris will hear it from me and I'm sure every other politician in Mead at the Joint Policing Committee in Mead I think it's coming up in a few weeks time Okay, we'll leave it there Thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning Fianna Fáil TD for Mead East Thomas Byrne Michael at lmfm.ie the Michael Reed Show. Now, the drugs problem or the issue surrounding uh, drugs was uh, debated in Dáil Éireann last night as well. But I want to quote Superintendent Christy Mangan when he said earlier this year that unless action is taken, that we are at risk of losing a generation of youth. And what's most worrying is how the scum involved in the sale of these drugs have now taken to murdering each other because of the turf wars between gangs on their illicit products. And of course, with the millions involved in the sale of drugs, this is now a big business for these thugs. But the murder last night of a 39-year-old man in Bettystown in my county of Mead, which is a result of the continuing feud in Drogheda, has brought this to a new and dangerous levels. And why is that? Because in this shooting, an automatic pistol was used and in the six shots that were fired, three of those bullets, can Corla, struck nearby cars in the Castle Martin Drive estate. So other innocent people, other than the intended target, could have been killed. Now, some years ago, when these incidents were starting to gather momentum, in the Meadloud area, I distinctly remember a homily from the then Bishop of Mead, Michael Smith, saying that we shouldn't, as a society, be dismissive of the lives of these people if they are murdering each other on the basis that they're all God's children. I like and respect Bishop Smith a lot, but I would have profoundly disagreed with his assessment on this occasion, because if these maggots want to murder themselves, I don't really care. And please God, may they all burn in hell. But what I do care about is when their presence causes a threat to the lives of ordinary citizens. And their presence does, not just in terms of a to life, but how towns like Drogheda and Bettystown have to be shut down almost to police the impact of these feuds. So we saw last night that innocent people could have had their lives taken because of the scum and that lawlessness. Minister, that cannot be allowed to prevail in this country. Let the scum burn, but let the ordinary decent people in Bettystown and Drogheda deserve to live their life in safety. I listened to the very passionate contribution of Deputy Shane Castles. Wish to assure him, as indeed I assured Deputy Brannock earlier, that these are extremely serious issues in local areas need to be dealt with. The issue of drug intimidation in communities, a very serious issue, involves the targeting of persons who use drugs or their family or friends in relation to the matter of a drug debt. And Garda Siakana are taking action, will continue to take action in relation to drug-related intimidation, particularly where there is a risk of harm or to the life 
persons involved. Now, we heard uh, Thomas Byrne a little bit earlier on talking about uh, children involved in distributing drugs. Uh, there was a Fianna Fáil motion in uh, the Dáil last night which would hope to bring about an end to that, and that was the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, responding to that motion and indeed to two local Fianna Fáil TDs, Shane Castles and Declan Brannock. Now, Wednesday morning, it means uh, that the local newspapers are available to you. We have them here. Marie Kearns has the front pages in front of her to tell us uh, what uh, they're reporting on. We're going to begin this week with uh, the Argus and an employment boost for Dundalk. That's right, Michael. It looks like more jobs are on the way for Dundalk. Panasonic Jobs Boost is the heading on the lead story in the Dundalk Argus, with the paper revealing that Panasonic Avionics Corporation is to open a repair shop for the aviation industry locally, although there's no indications as yet of the quantity of jobs set to be created. The paper understands that there is potential for significant numbers, so good news there. Okay, and uh, from employment to industrial unrest, the front page of uh, the Dundalk Democrats. That's right, Michael. It's leading with the news that industrial action at Dundalk IT is imminent. Donard McCabe writes that staff have voted by an unprecedented majority of 99.1% in a ballot for industrial action which took place last week. The dispute, the paper, the paper's reporting revolves around what TUI members at DKIT describe as the failure of DKIT's president's office and institute administration to adhere to national collective agreements, respect industrial relations mechanisms and engage in transparent and meaningful consultation on a range of issues. So I'm okay. sure we'll be hearing more about that. A wonderful story then on the front page of the Dundalk Leader about a little girl's trip to America. That's right and anyone with familiar with the story of little Zoe Murphy will be delighted to hear this news today that uh, the paper revealing that Zoe's life-changing surgery in the USA last weekend was successful. The two-year-old was born with quad, quad Riplegia and developed cerebral palsy at 21 months old, Michael. And the surgery she had there will greatly enhance her life. And it was only made possible because of the generosity of the people of Dundalk and surrounding areas who raised the target of €100,000 to send her there. So that's great news. The Drought Independent then on its front page mourning uh, the loss of a local legend. That's right, the loss of the late, great Vincent Toy the ex Strata United chairman. And thank you, Vincent, is the strapline heading there on the paper. And it's a lovely tribute to... Uh, Mr. Hoy, Hubert Murphy, writing that he wore his heart on his sleeve for 84 years and leaves an incredible legacy, an undeniable mark on his hometown that time nor man will ever raise. And inside the paper, across five pages, Michael, there's pictures, tributes and memories highlighting Vincent's many contributions to the town and his many attributes and achievements. To Betty's town and indeed uh, that murder that's that right. we've been talking about, uh, that's uh, the story that makes for the front page that's of it. the Mead Chronicle this week. That's right. And inside the paper though, Michael, if you are involved in or if you have an interest in the Pride of Place Awards, check out the 13-page special supplement in the Chronicle today, which celebrates communities from all over Meath who are honoured for their outstanding endeavour and spirit at this year's awards. Very good. Anna Krijel was a lovely and loving child within a loving family. There is no solace for them in this process. Anna's murder has resulted 
resulted in a sentence which is lifelong, the death of a child and uh, the manner in which it occurred has caused them deep misery and the destruction of their lives. Uh, This is according uh, to Mr Justice Paul McDermott who pronounced judgment on two 15-year-old boys who murdered Anna, who was 14 at the time, the boys were just 13 years of age. And it's just part of what Justice McDermott had to say. Frank Graney was in court in the Central Criminal Court. Yes, he's on the line with us now. A very good morning to you, Frank, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Justice McDermott uh, spoke for some time, an hour and 45 minutes, I understand. That's right, yes. It did take him some time to outline, I suppose, the reasons um, uh, and how he was guided to arriving at the sentences that he handed down uh, yesterday. He is required or was required under the Children Act to which he was governed, obviously, because of the boys' ages, 13, as you mentioned. At the time, they uh, killed Anna Kriagel in May of last year, 15 years of age now. So the law actually states that he has to give details um, as to how he arrived at his decision. But he opened up his... um, he opened up his lengthy judgment uh, yesterday morning by paying tribute to Anna, um, which I thought was um, a very nice and sensitive place to start because more often than not, in my experience covering trials down through the years, albeit nothing will compare to the trial that has just come before the Central Criminal Court, the murder of Anna, mm. of Anna Kriagel. I don't think any trial comes anywhere close to how horrific that was. Um, but more often than not, what happens is, and for obvious reasons, the jury is only really concerned with the events leading up to a person's life, um, how a person died, and, 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 and those responsible in the dock and the evidence presented to them all relates around the killing, the moments, the final moments of a person's life. But in this case, it was very different because we all got a glimpse into the life, albeit short life, that Anna had led long before this happened uh, to her. Um, Geraldine Kriagel gave evidence at the beginning of the trial, so too did her husband Patrick, and she said that they adopted Anna from her homeland of Russia when she was two and a half years of age and brought her back to Leakslip, and she described her love of dancing and of singing and how she used to practice dance moves in their living room. And her victim impact statement last week, which she delivered herself from the witness box, was so eloquent and so emotional mm-hmm. and so powerful, and it gave us more of an insight into Anna's life. She has two sisters over in Russia, um, arrangements were being made for her to go over and meet them for the first time and, and sadly that will never uh, happen but the judge did begin by noting that by saying that evidence in a trial can sometimes deflect from the life of a person but he said he wanted to make it clear that Anna's life was of supreme importance and central to today's hearing or to yesterday's hearing he said that she should not be defined by the crimes committed against her because her life was far greater than that he spoke about how she loved life, how she approached it with great energy, fun mm. and imagination. And I thought that, that was really interesting because Mr. Justice McDermott has never met Anna Kriagel. I have never been lucky enough to meet Anna Kriagel. You and your listeners, I imagine, don't know Anna Kriagel. Many people around the country who are reading the newspaper mm. coverage today will not have known Anna Kriagel. But you really got a sense throughout the trial of who she was and what a wonderful beautiful child she was. You look at those photographs doing the rounds today, she has a big, beautiful, beaming smile. Her eyes are dancing in every one of those photographs. She just really seems like a wonderful young person and it's so tragic to think that her life was taken in such circumstances and the judge was mindful of that yesterday. That is clearly something he would have had in the mm. back of his mind in relation to the victim impact statements that Jeremy delivered last week. 
he would have had to take that into account when he was constructing his sentence. Uh, I suppose it's true to say, in relative terms, few people would have known little Anna and uh, she really was uh, just a, a little girl. But in the short time that she spent on this planet, uh, undoubtedly there were a lot of people who knew her or uh, would have had uh, an indirect relationship to her and would be affected by all of this when you think of her, her friends, her school mates, uh, her teachers, uh, her own family and indeed the families of uh, the boys uh, who carried out this terrible deed, let alone uh, the whole community uh, and uh, other people uh, who may have had uh, some uh, direct or indirect involvement in all of this. Tell us about the court uh, and the setting in the court uh, because this was a, a long hearing obviously and uh, Geraldine and Patrick have sat together uh, along with uh, their supporters. What else was happening in the court? Well, it started at half past, well, it started about quarter to 11. It was set down for half past 10 yesterday morning, but there was a slight delay. Um, uh, boy A was first uh, in just before half past 10. Uh, he came in with his parents and his grandparents, and they sat together in a bench directly behind the row, uh, a row of benches where the various lawyers were, were sitting. Um, directly behind him then was Boy B. He walked in shortly after him, um, holding his mother's hand. He held her hand throughout the sentencing yesterday uh, his father was on the other side of him his father was not present at the sentence hearing last week we heard that when um, boy uh, B was convicted his father stormed out of the courtroom his absence was noted uh, last week but he was there yesterday um, and his son sat between him and his his wife um, five journalists then including myself were seated uh, behind uh, the boys um, there were an awful lot more journalists in the building, but the numbers allowed into the court and were restricted to just five for the purposes of sentencing. That was an order made by the judge. And um, there was an adjoining courtroom then where um, a live audio and video link was set up so that any additional journalists could uh, follow proceedings as they happened. Um, uh, as you can imagine, as the sentencing wore on and it became apparent that the judge was going to hand down a custodial sentence, and given the fact that they are so young, the legislation that he was governed by, the Children Act, specifically states that a period of detention should be a punishment of last resort when dealing with child offenders. Now, both he and a colleague of his in the Central Criminal Court when dealing with a separate case uh, the day before involving uh, a teenage boy who tried to kill a woman in Dunleary uh, back in 2017, both judges remarked on the fact that this piece of legislation does not deal with children who commit murder. So he was a little bit left in the dark in mm. relation to that. The decision that he had to make over the course of the past few days was not an easy one, clearly because there's no precedent really. These are the youngest um, you know, murderers uh, convicted in the history of the state. Um, there was another case that he was able to take a look at involving a teenage boy in County Loud who killed another teenager uh, some time ago, and he was handed a life sentence. And there was a review put on that sentence, a 10-year review. The boy did come back before the courts after 10 years, and it was decided that he should serve an additional few years, and uh, he has since been released. So he would have been guided by that. He would have also had the assistance of the various reports that were compiled as part of the sentencing process, reports that he asked to be compiled, such as psychological reports, psychiatric reports, probation reports, uh, things like that. So all of that would have fed into the decision that he made yesterday. But it became abundantly clear that he wasn't going to consider or entertain a non-custodial option because of the magnitude of what the boys did in taking Anna's life in such violent circumstances. Um, and when it became clear and when it started 
uh, to dawn on Boy A's mother in particular that her son was going to be handed a lengthy sentence. She became very upset. Um, she was crying throughout. Uh, she was wiping tears away. And at one point, just before he was sentenced, Boy A could be seen leaning into her and whispering something into her ear. Words of comfort, no doubt. Um, the two boys themselves seemed quite impassive uh, throughout yesterday's uh, sentencing. But Boy B's father, again, um, didn't quite storm out of the courtroom yesterday, but did become very upset. He broke down after the sentence was handed down. Mm-hmm. Um, boy A was, was handed a life sentence, uh, but the court did order for a review to take place after 12 years. He was also handed an eight-year period of detention for the aggravated sexual assault, which he was convicted of. That is a crime that he still claims he did not commit. Yeah. So he hasn't accepted responsibility for that. That's something that the judge would have obviously taken into account. Mm-hmm. A boy B was sentenced to 15 years for Anna's murder with a review to take place after eight years. And after Boy B's father learned that that was his fate, um, he became very upset. There are very significant sentences, very significant sentences, sentences, particularly for children, uh, but uh, Justice McDermott uh, spent a a long time uh, outlining the logic behind uh, the uh, sentence uh, that he he was handing down to the two boys. Uh, Justice McDermott, I I don't think, has ever come across a case like this. As you say, the youngest killers ever in the state. No judge, in fact, has. uh, And indeed, I'm sure uh, the same is true of you, Frank, seasoned uh, as you are on uh, court cases, uh, but what what are your thoughts on what you've sat through on the two boys? I mean, obviously there's restrictions uh, on what can be said about the boys, uh, but we do know that the reports that you spoke about a moment ago said that there was no mental illness, there was no personality disorder, and uh, there's no explanation as to why they did this. What what what, what what's your thoughts to to conclude this morning with us? And that is the big question mark, isn't it, is that we still don't know, despite the efforts of professionals who have spoken to the boys since they were convicted uh, of murder, um, we still don't know why they killed Anna Kriagel. And that's a question that will no doubt haunt Geraldine and Patrick, because the only logical explanation in the absence of um, a motive is that they killed her because they could because they saw her as an easy target and because they wanted to. And that, in my opinion, is pure evil personified. That they identified Anna Kriagel, who was suffering um, um, certain issues, uh, health issues as a child, but also she struggled to make friends as a teenager and was a a vulnerable person. Mm. Um, uh, You know, I think that that will go a great deal to helping Geraldine and Patrick on their very difficult journey, the, life, the lifelong sentence that they've been handed down. I mean, Geraldine spoke in her victim impact statement about how traumatic it was those three days when um, Anna was missing before her body was found in that derelict farmhouse in Lucan on May 17th of last year. How difficult it was not knowing where she was and not knowing what had happened to her and how difficult it was now, sometime later, knowing that there were two people out there who did. So it's the unanswered questions. We still don't know why and may never know why the boys um, killed Anna Kriagel. Certainly the only two people that can answer that question is them. Um, Boy A doesn't fully accept responsibility for murdering Anna. He does accept that he caused her death, but he claims it was unintentional. And now intention is obviously a very important ingredient when it comes to a murder conviction. So he doesn't fully accept the jury's verdict. And Boy B doesn't accept it at all. He still maintains that he had nothing to do with Anna Kriagel's uh, murder. 
in relation to the case itself, you know, I have covered some harrowing cases down through the years. Um, You do become somewhat hardened by them. You do look at it as your job and you have to. You know, you find a way to leave this stuff at the door and go home and don't think about it again until the next day. But that's a luxury that the Creoshells don't enjoy. And to be honest, during this trial, that's a luxury that I and I know my colleagues didn't enjoy. Um, Everybody has been deeply affected by this case. Mr. Justice McDermott spoke about how it has affected people right across the country. The thing is, you sit through these cases for eight weeks and the public is only given the tip of the iceberg in relation to what is said in court. Because of the graphic nature of the details that I and my colleagues sat through, we couldn't possibly reveal those details to the public. Some of them were just so graphic. But whatever about me and my colleagues, we're professionals and this is our job. Geraldine and Patrick Creagel did absolutely nothing to find themselves in the position that they found themselves in sitting through this evidence the forensic evidence in particular, the post-mortem evidence. It took Professor Mary Cassidy, the former state pathologist, hours to outline the details of her report. I won't go into them this morning, but such was the extent of the injuries to Anna Creagel, 14-year-old Kildare schoolgirl. Such was the extent of the injuries. It took Professor Cassidy that long to go through them in detail. The boys were excused from that particular part of the trial. There were applications made in the absence of the jury that they would find the details of essentially what they did to her uh, too distressing to sit through and they were excused because of their age. The Creagels bravely decided to sit through that and found the strength from God knows where. I I have no doubt that they were thinking about Anna Creagel and that that possibly gave them strength to sit through that. But that's something that sticks out for me is to sit through that and to hear such clinical evidence about what happened to their beloved daughter must have been very difficult uh, for them. As they left court yesterday with the same grace that they have been throughout proceedings, I mean, they didn't let their emotions uh, get away from them at any point, really. You know, even when the verdicts were handed down and emotions are high, um, they were very respectful and very dignified and they held themselves with such grace and such dignity. Mm-hmm. It was the same yesterday when the okay. sentence was handed down. And, I, and I'll just leave you with the words of, of Patrick Creagel when, when he spoke to the gathered media outside and he said that justice had been served for Anna and he said, for our part, forever is not long enough. Please remember Anna and keep her in your hearts somewhere. And I thought those parting words were particularly um, impactful because I think Anna Kriyajal's story has touched many lives. I think her legacy will live on. I think people now around the country are having very important conversations with their children on the back of what happened to Anna Kriyajal. They're looking more closely at what their children are accessing online and what they have potentially got access to. Cyberbullying has now become a discussion again. It's been a discussion down through the years. Anna Kriyajal was bullied online extensively. Mm. And there have been conversations, even in the Dáil Chamber, down through the years in relation to how we tackle cyberbullying Clearly not enough is being done. That's a conversation that is starting again. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll never have another situation like we have had with with Anna Kriagel, that something will uh, be done to protect our children a little bit better. Frank, thank you very much indeed. That's our course correspondent, Frank Green. 
The Michael Reed Show. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. A listener phoned in, didn't want to give names, says, I live in Bettystown. The fear is that someone completely innocent could be caught up in the crossfire. A number of bullets were fired on Monday night, Michael. Stray bullets hit mm. cars, could easily have gone through the window of any house. Absolutely. That's a very yeah. scary yeah. thought. Went through a lorry or a van that was parked that's nearby right, as hit, well. That's right, it hit yeah, nearby yeah, vehicles. Yeah. And this is to say, that's what's occupying the thoughts of many people. Yeah. What if? Uh, Martin from Delic uh, wants to know, what is Deputy Thomas Byrne and all our other TDs doing about the changes in the Garda structures that he has spoken about? The headquarters have now moved from Meath and we have one now Chief Chief Superintendent who's going to be responsible for two divisions. How is this going to work? Martin feels that this is not acceptable in light of what is going on in the area. Uh, the coastal area of Bettystown, Mornington and Laytown, says Margaret, has grown substantially in recent years. The population really has spiralled. Yet we still have a small Garda station. There are not enough resources in the area. People need to feel safe in their homes and in their communities. Mm. And people are obviously uh, still railing at uh, the news of uh, the death That's of right. uh, that uh, 39-year-old man, Richie Carberry, the other night. Yeah. Leo phoned mm. in, also listening into the conversation this morning uh, on that shooting in Bettystown and says we, we need to put a stop to all this carry-on, as he describes it. And he feels that anyone that's found to be a member of a gang should automatically be given a four and a half year jail sentence. He feels that would stop this. Uh, he says that he lives in the area and it's just terrible what has happened. That He was listening in yesterday to your interview with Councillor Sharon Tolan who spoke about meeting the, the, this, the deceased mm. walking on the beach. Uh, he was clearly in local shops and walking around the area. What if the shooting had have happened then, Michael? Mm. Could somebody innocent have been caught up in it? And this is what's worrying people. Yeah. Jim and Navin says um, basic law and order, he feels, has broken down in Ireland. Petty crime, as they call it, becomes a more serious crime when these thugs, as he describes them, get older. There needs to be a serious discussion between Gardaí, the judiciary to stamp out this scourge. It's ruining the lives of decent people trying to live their lives, mm. says Jim and Alvin. No, I'm not sure it is petty crime. <laughs> well, I think yeah. the point mm. he's making is it starts off often as petty crime mm. with younger people and then it escalates. Yeah. And maybe if it's caught early on is the point that he's making. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing is sacred anymore says another listener. You have thugs attacking Gardaí on Halloween night. You've uh, transport staff also being attacked, Michael, for absolutely no reason. Young people running riot on our streets, being able to get away with it. And then you hear of somebody being shot down in cold blood. It's absolutely terrifying and very worrying for law-abiding citizens in this country who no longer feel safe. This is not the Ireland I want to live in, nor the Ireland I want for my children. I feel that it's a huge issue that needs to be tackled and the government needs to really devote its energy to this. I feel that there should be more collaboration with the judiciary and there needs to be a big think, think 
tank on sentencing and where that is going, say this okay. listener. Well, it's one of many crimes. Obviously, uh, there's uh, a dead body. Uh, a man has been killed and uh, it rarely gets that serious. Uh, but this part of uh, the world has been described as lawless ever since uh, the abduction of Kevin Lunny. He's been speaking to Jim Fitzpatrick on BBC Spotlight. So come up the lane as usual. Um, didn't notice or suspect anything Looking forward to seeing the kids. And then noticed, about two-thirds of the way up the lane, noticed a white car just ahead. Uh, I knew it was unusual because there wouldn't normally be a strange car on my lane. So the next thing I was aware of is that they had um, put the car into reverse at high speed. And I I just was conscious of looking. The car was basically jumping on the road. It was as hard as they could drive it backwards. It was sort of reversing towards me. And it, almost instantly, then it it smashed into me. I could see the the front of the jeep crumpling, and it was it was a. So I was disoriented. Then, I could see out the front window, uh, two guys, I think one on each side of the car, coming jumping out. And the next thing was the two side windows came in. They dragged me out, and then there was a third person with a Stanley knife, and I could see as a Stanley knife up to my neck, and basically. He was saying, get into that. And I didn't know what he what he meant. I was still resisting a little bit. He said, get into that. And he said, you don't get into that, we're going to kill you. So he got into the boot of the car, but uh, despite everything, he managed to open the boot of the car as these fellows were driving along. So I said, I wonder, how, I wonder could I get out of this? And uh, so I put one foot out on the road, but I noticed as soon as I put my foot to the road that it ripped the sole off my shoe. So I knew, jeez, if I hit that with my head or with my arm or something, it's going to rip it in bits. So I decided that that's maybe not a good idea. But I was also conscious that the car was slowing down. So it came quite slow, and I said, I could probably go now. So I went to jump, but I hadn't realised that one of the... Th- the third guy inside the car had taken the seats down. So he had come into the boot sort of on his belly and had caught my right foot. And was ho- So I was went to jump and he caught me by the right foot at the same time. So I kind of fell onto the side of the car, onto the, back into the boot a bit, or onto the side of it kind of. Um, I managed to kick him a little bit more and my shoe came off in his hands. So I kind of then fell out onto the road. Quinn Industrial Holdings uh, Director Kevin Lunning telling the story uh, about how this gang left him for dead, uh, an incident uh, which he felt could have been the end of his life. I was conscious I was starting to shiver and I was in agony and then just I'd say just was able to see down the road on the main road I was able to see the light of a house a window of a house. I don't know how far it was. I, I couldn't, maybe 200 metres. But I've seen it and as I said, I have to try and get to that. So, I pushed myself along. I don't know how far I'd gone, but I knew I have to, had to try and get to it. And uh, I remember stopping a few times because I just couldn't go any further and I remember thinking about the kids, Brona, everything. I was thinking, I don't think I'll make this. 
but I did keep going. I kept pushing. And um, I'm not sure how far I was, maybe not that far at all. And I heard a tractor coming. And I uh, started to think maybe I should have stayed on the other road. And But eventually the tractor came and it came along beside me. And I waved at it and it stopped. And I think it was the help of God that he stopped. But, uh, the young guy looked out and he said, what in God's earth going on here? And uh, I don't really know what I, I think I asked him, where am I? But he said, what's happened? And I said, look, at, I'm, I told him who I was and there's something to do with it. Stuart, there's a dispute in Queens. Can you get the guards and get the ambulance? I've been attacked. That's part of uh, the interview that Kevin Lunny gave uh, to Jim Fitzpatrick. It was aired as part of the BBC Spotlight programme last night. And uh, I don't think anybody will argue that that is as frightening as any of us could ever imagine. Uh, more calls uh, there on some of uh, the other issues uh, that we've been talking about this morning, Marie. Yes, Michael. Just Can I just go back to, because I've one last one here just in relation to your interview with Thomas Byrne on the situation regarding gangs and drugs. Mm. Uh, he mentioned, you know, that drugs, uh, that people are openly smoking hash on the streets and that cocaine is openly available in pubs. And as a society, we have a responsibility to ensure demand is curtailed because until that happens, this criminality will continue. Well, Graham got in touch and said the other option would be to maybe legalise a particular drug and cut off the revenue stream for criminal gangs and thinks there needs to be more thinking outside of the box in relation to that. Okay, very good. Thanks uh, for that. The Michael Reed Show. Now, the family of uh, Shane O'Farrell, who was killed in Carrick Macross in a hit and run in 2011, have criticised uh, the terms of reference for a state inquiry into his death. And his mother, Lucia, is on the line with us once again. Good morning to you, Lucy, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit uh, about uh, the background to this. Uh, it's not very often, I suppose, uh, that uh, it's agreed to hold a state inquiry into the death of an individual. Your son's circumstances were somewhat unique and there was a a lot of questions about how he died, how the man who was responsible for knocking your son down was at liberty and indeed how all of that was investigated. Uh, Yes, we do know definitively that he should have been in state custody at the time and had the guards done their basic duty, he would have been in in jail. Uh, uh, Judge John O'Hagan seven months earlier had said if he commits another theft, he was to be returned to him anywhere on the circuit and he would jail him. And he committed nine thefts between that and killing Shane. Uh, The law had no meaning for him. It it appears to have no meaning for the guards involved as well. But 16 months ago, based on, on facts, the Dáil voted for a public inquiry. So the, the democratically elected people of this country voted two to one in favour of a public inquiry into the circumstances of Shane's mm. unlawful killing. And nine months ago, Dave, Senator David Norris put forward a similar motion and that was also passed. And as Senator Norris said, the Parliament of Ireland, both houses of the Oireachtas, have voted for a public inquiry. So instead of respecting the will of the people, uh, Charlie Flanagan put something else in place that wasn't voted for, that wasn't voted for by the people. He put in in place a scoping exercise and he appointed District Court Judge uh, Houghton. Now, uh, let me say, Mm. 
up front straight away, we have the height of respect for Judge Houghton. This is, what has panned out now is not of his making. Now, uh, and what yes. Jared Houghton's role in all of this was to take a, a look at what was known so far. That's the scoping exercise. Scoping, yes. And to help set the parameters for how this inquiry would be held. They're the terms of reference. The ter- well, the terms of reference really uh, uh, frame the actual inquiry. Mm. So if there's a public inquiry, they would frame the actual inquiry and they actually affect what matters can be considered and consequently what recommendations the judge can ultimately make. Yes. But Charlie Flanagan now has, has really uh, put a spanner in the works and it looks like a, 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 a quite a sinister view is being taken by our family of what has happened because when the vote of the Dáil and Shannon has taken place for a public inquiry, the, 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 the minister is obliged to respect the vote of the Dáil and instead of that he's put a, a scoping exercise in place. But if the scoping exercise can't look at what the Dáil and Shannon voted on, then we need to go straight to a public inquiry. The TDs are entitled to know why the Dáil resolution is not being followed. And, and we have to get the terms of reference right to give the judge the right tools to do his job, which is looking at all of the circumstances of the case. Mm. Now, initially, the, the Attorney General produced terms of reference. I, I'll simplify it as mm. best I can. Mm. Initially, the, the Attorney General produced terms of reference. We weren't consultated about that at all. There was no liaison with us. We were given these in February. But again and again, the doll, in the doll in Shannon and in letters to our family, Charlie Flanagan said, it's open to you to meet with the judge to help shape the terms of reference, etc. And I'll just read one of those, if I may. Yeah. On the 12th of March, to Deputy Breed Smith, a quote by the minister, it is open to Judge Horton to propose changes to the terms of reference to me and, fo- and following his review, I expect he will advise me on any remaining questions that, that remain unanswered. I have not placed any restrictions on Judge Horton, who is independent and will remain independent in the course of his inquiries, investigations, observations, deliberations and submissions. So you would think, OK, so we met with Judge Horton hmm. and uh, following our meeting, Judge Horton made out his own terms of reference and submitted them to the department. Now, the new terms of reference have... The the department rejected completely Judge Horton's terms of reference, which is very concerning, Mm. and they watered down their original terms of reference. So the new terms of reference won't give us the answers we need and they don't reflect the Dáil and Shannon vote because the terms will not allow the inquiry to ascertain the full and relevant facts in Shane's case and appear to be an attempt to curtail the scope of the inquiry and to further delay us getting the answers. And Judge Houghton had recommended that the terms of reference would include that the state inquiry would look at the previous prosecutions that the man who killed your son had. Uh, this is Sigmantus Grzuska. Uh, and also how he was on bail at the time of the death of your son Shane uh, and also have regard to the documentation that was gathered during uh, the inquest into your son's death. Uh, the department referred all of this to the Attorney General uh, and came back uh, with something other than each of those three items. Absolutely, but 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 it, which is also concerning is that the original terms of reference was, were from the Attorney General, so they watered their original ones down, which was to review the circumstances into into Shane's death, to mm. review the I have it here, to review the investigations that have already taken place into the circumstances of the death of Shane, namely the criminal prosecution of Zygmuntus Graduska. So now they've removed what they had originally in. The, the Attorney General had drafted the original ones. 
So to review, the review is now gone. So all they've replaced that with is, is to look at the outcome of reports. And you might think that's fair and well and good. But that's going on the basis that the reports are correct. And we know, it, it, we know that they're not. And, and there's no uh, scope there for the judge to investigate into how the, those reports came to be. I might think that's all well, fair and good, uh, Lucia. And I, I, I might not. What do you think? Oh, the reports are seriously flawed. Mm. And yes, the, all the judge can do is look at, at, at the outcome of reports. And, and we need a comprehensive, transparent and independent examination of the failings in the criminal justice system, which are widespread, which led to Shane's death and the, the consequent failings that resulted in the offender being dealt with so leniently. Uh, looking at the outcome of reports is not going to do that. So we need to give the judge the tools, give him the terms of reference that will allow him to do his job and, 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 and recognise the failings, address them, learn from them and see it doesn't happen to someone else. But narrowing them now and curtailing them is not in line with what the vote of the Dáil and Shannad and it, it needs to be it needs to be in keeping with that. The, the Dáil and the Shannad voted for a public inquiry mm. and, and, and the Minister has a duty. Now hiding behind legal advice, he's he now watered down his own initial terms of reference. So I think it's deeply concerning and I think he's undermined the scoping exercise process to... to uh, to, to uh, uh, say, oh, uh, you can only look at the outcome. But what's the legal advice? Uh, well, I mean, I mean we're talking about something that uh, is uh, very similar uh, to uh, a court hearing uh, into uh, a case. Uh, this is a state investigation. What legal advice could restrict that investigation? Well, exactly. But, I mean, what legal advice could restrict a judge from looking at the previous prosecutions of the killer? Hmm. And bearing in mind, this man had committed 30 offences while on bail before he killed Shane. Mm. And, and bearing in mind that the, you, you have interviewed um, the great Michael Clifford regarding mm. how the statutory inquest was misled and how the, mm. the, the statements were tampered with. Uh, he, he now can look at reports. The, the, the state have removed the mention of the statutory inquest which Judge Horton had submitted. That's been rejected by the state, which is very concerning, where an inquest was misled. That's been removed. The criminal investigation has been removed. Uh, uh, to take into account the outcome of, 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 of GSOC. When, when we can say that the, P, the guards were fully aware that Isigamantis Graduska was in Northern Ireland arrested by the PSNI, the, P, the PSNI have confirmed that in writing, as has the prosecution in Northern Ireland. Mm. But yes, it, it, the, the GSOC report saying they were unaware of that. Is so, what's being proposed under these terms of reference, under these parameters, uh, pointless? keeping what the Dáil and Shannon voted for, which is for a public inquiry into the circumstances leading up to Shane's death. This cannot do this. Looking at reports, outcomes of reports that they're taking on face value is okay. Now, I think Judge Horton saw the bigger picture on the responsibility of the state to its citizens, to Shane and its people, such as the reference to the Constitution and the European Court of Human Rights. And it's, I think, deeply concerning for the people of this country that the Department of Justice would remove reference to the Constitution and the European Court of Human Rights. I, I, I think it's it's shocking. I think it, it, to, to say to a judge, you have to look at the outcome of reports it, taken at face value that, that you presume they're all right when we can prove they're not is very worrying. So it's, it's not in line with what the Dáil and Shannon voted for. So I think it, this is more like a dictatorship. We, need, we have a democracy in this country and, and the, the Department of Justice should respect democracy and respect the will of the people which have voted unanimously 
for a public inquiry. Yeah, well, I, so I, it's I th- delaying the inevitable, really. Mm, well, yeah, I, I think uh, the Minister is going to have to uh, explain this. I'm sure he'll be asked about it. Uh, well, but we, we, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it, mm-hmm. the TDs are going to go back mm-hmm. to him because it's not in yeah. line with what they voted for. But, you know, we've had fantastic support mm-hmm. from, the, from the media, from uh, TDs came out, <laughs> took us out soup and tea. We were there oh, yesterday. Okay. They, mm-hmm. they all came out, minus Fine Gael, but we wouldn't expect anything else. But, uh, I mean, we can't have faith in, in Charlie Flanagan or the Department of Justice. How could you? We were led to believe we'd have an input into the terms of reference. Mm-hmm. You know, he, oh, you know, uh, again and again, this was said to Breed Smith, Neve Smith, Gino Kenny, uh, etc., right across the board. Uh, and they reneged on all of that and they did a U-turn. So coming out with saying, oh, you know, it's open to him to do that or the other. The terms of reference determine what he can look at. And, and, and they determine the outcome. So we need an inquiry that will look at across how the criminal justice system failed Shane. Mm. All of it. And what, that allowed this to happen, a beautiful, much-loved 23-year-old to get a violent death. And, and the failures of the state to Shane. And recognize, address that failing. Address individuals who fail to do their basic duty. Okay. And, and hold people to account. But look, we have, we've had people yeah. approach us yesterday mm. saying, do you want us to sign a petition? I get a mass said for mm. you. I'm going mm. to the chapel now. I light a candle. Look, we've had just great people who, they, they came out in their droves to us. They carried us really yesterday. They, they, we've met such great goodwill that you can really, it was palpable, mm. the goodwill we felt. And, you know, they, I'm sure there's some comfort in that, uh, but uh, there's uh, probably more pertinent uh, responses uh, that you'll be looking for. I'm sure the minister will be asked uh, some serious questions and will need to explain uh, the logic behind uh, restricting uh, a state investigation like this. Uh, well, well, I, I think mm-hmm. the very simple thing is they haven't uh, complied with what the Dáil and Shannon voted for, leading to the circumstances into Shenzhen, the widespread failure to Shane, where a man was in multiple breaches of bail and yet granted bail and, and continued to reoffend and granted bail again and again. How that was allowed, I mean, there's, there's a responsibility to the citizens in this country for Shane and for all the people out there that this, to ensure this never happens again. Okay. But they can only do that by addressing the failure and learning from it. And, and they, have, they have a duty to the vote in the doll. They'd be very quick if it was the other way around and they got a vote that they wanted that they were respecting the will of the people. There is a vote there from mm. both houses of the Oireachtas mm. and the Minister should respect that because he's only de- delaying the inevitable. Fine Gael won't be long in power. Their days are numbered and and the quicker the better, really, because they have done nothing but abuse our family. Okay. Well, no doubt we'll hear more about this uh, later in the day. We leave there for the moment, Lucia. Thank you very much. Thank you, as always. Thank you very much. Always nice to talk to you. That's Lucia O'Farrell. The Michael Reed Show. Now, we know there's a, a lot of homeless people in this country, officially more than 10,000 people who are homeless in Ireland. But why does somebody become homeless? Is there a typical homeless person for that matter? I'm sure there isn't, but uh, there would appear to be some common traits or some experiences uh, that many people who are homeless have had. Uh, and uh, this is highlighted in a report by DCU's Educational Disadvantage Centre and uh, the Peter McVerry Trust on Young Homeless Men's Experience of the education system. We're joined now by Father Peter McVerry. A very good morning to you as always, Peter, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, Is there much surprise in what you've been reading in this report? There isn't. I think uh, you could predict a lot of it. The one thing that did surprise me uh, is that 47% uh, of, uh, of people interviewed 
actually found their second level experience of education to be to be good or, or very good. And that surprised me. The, uh, the, the 72%, most homeless people had a good experience in primary school, mm. but then it drops substantially when they move to, uh, to secondary school. <clears throat> and over half of them uh, talk about a very negative experience of, of second level school. One in five had been expelled from school. <laughs> mm. One in four had been suspended and one in eight had had multiple suspensions and detentions. So clearly, uh, second-level school wasn't a happy experience for many of them, and that's understandable. Uh, And do you think that's because the problems within themselves were starting uh, uh, and that that led to these problems that they were experiencing in schools or is it the other way around and that the negative experience that they uh, were having in, in schools led to the problems in them? Uh, I think it's a combination of uh, two things. One, many of them did come from uh, difficult backgrounds. They came from families that were in poverty and uh, that were stressed. They came from very deprived communities, dysfunctional families, and quite a high percentage of them had experienced childhood traumas, uh, such as violence at at home or sexual abuse. Uh, So... Given that level of, of of trauma that they bring to second level school and then combine that with the lack of services, the lack of counselling and therapy services available to them in second level school, uh, their behaviour just uh, deteriorated. They became what would be known in school as problem children, mm. though I would prefer to call them as children with problems, <laughs> but they became known as problem children and eventually they got disillusioned with school and uh, the teachers often got disillusioned with them. One young fella put it very, very nicely. He said, in primary school, the teachers all loved me. In secondary school, the teachers all hated me. Yeah. yeah. So and I suppose uh, that brings us uh, to one of uh, the recommendations, which is uh, to provide support for these young people. I think schools need to. They're, they're, and particularly, I think, today, there's a lot more difficulties uh, in school, uh, teachers having to cope with much more difficult behaviour. Uh, I think we do need a, a, a greater range of services available, like counselling and therapy and, and mental health supports. That's a huge issue mm. uh, in schools today, I think, for, for, for people. Uh, and the services just are not adequate to, to meet those uh, to meet those needs and what happens then is those kids be either end up walking out of school because their needs are not being met or they end up getting constantly suspended uh, uh, to the point where effectively they're expelled. Mm, and that is uh, the last resort, isn't it, uh, when uh, there's no other option. Uh, but perhaps there should be another option and uh, if children get to that point, uh, you've asked uh, that alternatives would be looked at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this should be addressed much earlier in their educational uh, experience, uh, but uh, schools don't have the resources. I can sympathise with schools. If you have a classroom of 35 kids and three of them are acting very difficult and it's making it very difficult for the other 32 to to learn or to have a an environment in which they can uh, learn, it's very difficult for teachers and principals to uh, to address that if the supports aren't there and in many schools the supports simply aren't there. Mm. Uh, And quite often I suppose people would uh, expect that the supports would come from the teachers. 
Well, the teachers are not trained to deal with mental health. The teachers are not trained to deal with their childhood traumas. No, I, I don't think teachers are trained to teach. I think we need uh, other services there with professionals who can address these uh, these uh, these needs of, of uh, what I think now is a substantial minority of children. Mm, indeed, and uh, many of uh, the children that we're talking about who are adults now or, or young men uh, will also uh, form families uh, and their children will be homeless as a result of their homelessness uh, and uh, support should be given to children who are homeless. Absolutely, and children who are currently homeless and living in hotels and bed and breakfast, their educational experience is going to be very difficult uh, they're stressed out. They go to school stressed out. Uh, they find it very difficult to uh, come home and do homework. There's no space to do homework. They don't have the mental space to do homework because they're wondering where are they going to be staying tonight. I, I think we are piling up problems uh, going going into the future. Mm. But one thing that did come out in the survey was there is a great desire for further education amongst homeless people. Many of them, they say the worst thing in their life that they did was to leave the educational system because they know that without an education, there is no future for them. And they would really love to get back into education. But it's very difficult to do that if you're living in emergency hostels, if uh, you're in a hostel where you have to leave early in the morning and all out back in the, till the evening. Mm. Uh, and if you don't have the uh, the supports that you need to uh, to to continue uh, learning after school hours, so mm. the the really strong desire to uh, to 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 con- to now continue their education, mm. but uh, finding it very very difficult and with very little supports to uh, help them to do so. Uh, it's sad in many ways, isn't it? Uh, I mean, eighty percent, uh, I think, of uh, the men surveyed uh, said, "If I had it all again, I'd go back and." Uh, complete my education uh, but uh, many of them were depressed or feeling anxious when they were in school and that comes back to the other points that you were making earlier on yes it's uh, you can't you can't study if you're stressed uh, or if you're depressed or if you're wondering uh, you know are your parents going to be in the pub all night or mm. is your dad going to beat up your ma again if you have those sort of dysfunctionalities within the family it's impossible to study in school your your body is in school, but your mind is somewhere else. Your mind is worrying about uh, events that are that have been happening at home, or events that may possibly happen uh, at home in the next uh, day or two. Okay, well, it gives us some insight, uh, I suppose, into what is uh, far too significant a proportion of uh, the population. Uh, but uh, we have to leave it there for the moment. And thank you very much indeed for joining us ahead of uh, the launch of uh, that report. That's Father Peter McFerry. The Michael Reed Show. Yeah, back uh, to the gangland killing in Town. Local area councillors uh, Sharon Kogan and independent councillor in Finnegales, Paddy Mead are on the line. And good morning to both of you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Paddy, what are people saying to you locally? Look, it's, it's a big shock. Uh, anyone who lives in an estate or in an area to have anyone shot near you is shocking, upsetting and scary because while... The, it is gang it appears to be gang related and it's mm. only members of gangs that have been attacked. People obviously have a fear that geez, what if I was walking on that street that night? Well were people afraid yesterday? Did people know who this fellow was? Yes, it's, it's, some of the neighbours there that I was talking to seemed to 
know the man to, to a certain extent. Yeah, they knew uh, that they tried to kill him before in March and that he had installed bulletproof windows in his house. There, there was, they did appear that some of them were aware of, of some issues, yes. Mm, a terrible way to have to live, isn't it? Yes, but, and obviously, you know, there's a guard investigation and I'm no expert in that, but if it is gang-related and if it is drug-related, look, at there's a message out there to, to anyone who's on the fringes of a thing. Look, at if you go to work on a farm, there's a possibility you might get kicked by a cow. Mm. If you go and you decide in your life you're going to deal drugs, there's a serious threat that you might get shot. And if well, you're, by all accounts, it is gang-related, and uh, it's to do with uh, the drug feud in Drogheda. Sharon Kogan, what are you hearing from people? Look, at, I think everybody's everybody's in shock, and I suppose communities are in shock. Uh, look, at, it is it is terribly sad for the family that have been affected and, and the people that have lost this particular individual. And but I suppose that the bigger question is, and it, it, it's happening in every single neighbourhood. The Gardaí are doing their best, and I believe they're doing they're doing a fantastic job there. And the last week there were fourteen arrested. Um, the Gardaí here in the Ashburn area are doing their best. They they had patrols in the area. They are obviously uh, watching those that are involved in criminal activity and uh, surveilling things. Those particular individuals, and they were in that estate a half an hour before this event took place. Um, Look, it, 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 this is just part of society. The drug culture in this country, I, I have compared it to what happened in Northern, what happened in Northern Ireland um, in, the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. It is absolutely no difference as far as I'm concerned. There are communities that are, um, that are under siege. And there are individuals that are, uh, and individual houses that have been pipe-bombed, people that have been terrorised arson attacks that have taken place um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible scourge on society today and we really, really need to get to grip with it and we need to do it as a people and help the Gardaí with any information that we know with, with those that are involved in dealing or peddling in drugs that are ruining the children of the future and that's all I can say about the issue. I, I, I feel very strongly about um, about the use of drugs, mm. and uh, and I think it, it is widespread. It is widespread in not only just in the working class, but in the middle class, and it's become nearly the norm. And it's definitely not the norm. And certainly, a death like this uh, in any community is going to shake the community up. Yeah, I wonder, Paddy, if uh, you could tell the guards something that they don't already know. Well, look, the guards, the guards have... If you could, you're probably involved, you know what I mean? Yeah. Look, the guards have a fair idea, I'd say, of what's going on and that. Obviously, I'd say they've more than a fair idea. Yeah. I'm sure they know all of the individuals who are involved uh, uh, yeah. and uh, what they're up to, uh, but uh, yeah. gathering the evidence and the intelligence and so on is a different day's work. Yeah. No, they're completely true. But obviously, I suppose we have to be cautious when, when, when we say things because we don't want to, uh, I suppose, pre- uh, but, but I just suppose the other message out there is there is no small drug dealer in any of our parishes that isn't involved in this. The small lad in, in maybe your parish, and you think he's not involved, he is getting his drugs from one of the bigger gangs. So any person in any little village across County Mead or County Loud 
who is buying a pill or a bit of uh, well, I was going to say dust or cocaine is supporting one side of a feud or the other. Every person who is taking drugs is supporting these gangs, is leading to this. And anyone, I suppose, in any parish or community, mm. who knows a person who is selling drugs, even at a small level, mm. maybe they should let the guard know, just in case the guard isn't aware of that person. Mm. Um, because only by, with that field... Well, they probably only know a dealer if they're buying it off the dealer. Should they be able to buy it in a, a licensed premises? No, I would not support buying cocaine, buying ecstasy, buying these sort of drugs. No, these have a very bad effect on people. And, and look, it, it, it's sad to see the, the, the knock-on crime that's happened on this, where you mm. have families that are indebted, and then there's people going out robbing houses, robbing places, trying to raise money mm. to pay drug debts. The, people rationally wouldn't do that. People with drug addictions do that. That is not a good thing. Uh, no, there's, I, 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 I've heard this argument be said, but no, cocaine, ecstasy, heroin, these things in our society, no way. Um, couldn't support there, it in any way. Also, the pressure that, would, that comes under uh, these young people that are dealing for the bigger dealers, like, there's nothing to say who was involved. I, I have no idea who was involved in that shooting or any shooting that takes place. But you know, read the papers. Read, read the papers. Read the papers, or talk to people locally, and you'll find out very quickly. Uh, I mean, it's no secret. Everybody knows who's involved in them, except yeah. Sharon Kogan. So, no, sorry, uh, well, sorry, no, sorry, sorry. As regards that shooting the other day, yeah. Or, 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 so, as regards any any shooting yeah. that takes place, one never knows the circumstances who that individual is. That individual that maybe having a shotgun in his hand for the first time. I mean, clearly. Ah, it was a professional was gang. It was an auto, it was an automatic pistol. Read the paper, Sharon. For God's sake! I mean, it was a professional hit. It was an automatic pistol, uh, and it's uh, and he's the second second person. He's the second person. He's the second person in one of the gangs that has been killed. Uh, and that gang, that gang is now going to be very, very angry. When's the next killing going to happen? Uh, well, sorry, there's nobody condoning these killings whatsoever. Absolutely not. And when you say it was professional. Certainly, it certainly it, it seems that it was professional. There was a hit taken out, but you know it, there was other shots fired that didn't. And that is the, the, the saddest thing of all that didn't hit the target. That actually hit uh, cars, and it could have actually mm. gone into homes. And children or other individuals yeah, could they, have been hit within that community. They were paid for a job. They did the job. It was a professional hit, uh, and it's the second time that a member of one gang has been killed. That gang is going to want revenge, aren't they? Absolutely, and I do May believe I, it would be revenge killing. And I do, and I, and, and until so, what actually might happen is innocent people are getting caught up in this. But okay, sorry, innocent people are getting caught up in this, and innocent communities are getting. Well, caught we know up that. Yep, yep. So yeah. What we need people to do is, if they know people involved in criminality, to please contact the guardie. Mm, it's important. Yeah. I mean, and I do know and you might end up killed yourself, Paddy. Paddy, me just very, very briefly, final word. I, I suppose just to add on that. At the moment, it seems to be the heads of either gang that's uh, making these things happen. But I suppose the knock-on is that smaller drug dealers that maybe we come across in our society who have debts to these gangs might be forced and feel pressurised into doing things and into supporting things. Well, and, yeah, that's, yeah, and that's yeah, why that's we call on the public mm-hmm. to report 
every one of the small dealers. Okay, got to uh, leave it there. I'm out of time. Thank you both indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Fine Gael Councillor Paddy Mead and Independent Councillor Sharon Kogan. That's all we've time for. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.